Hello. Welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector, and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? I am well, my friend. Excited about this episode. As am I. We have a special guest, a friend of the show. Uh, he was on early during our pandemic days. Uh, ben Aronson, how are you, Ben? Good, good. What's up, everybody? Everything good here, man. So I've been teasing this uh, earlier in the summer, and this is our first episode of the future of the NBA. And it occurred to me that as, you know, a longtime basketball fan, you know, as I always like to joke about David and our, I mean, we're not, we have a little bit of an age gap, not that big, not as big as David likes to think. Uh, but I started watching basketball in the early 80s, right? And the way I consume basketball and David consumes basketball is rapidly changing. Um, and as we... And generation, David's generation and my generation and yours, Ben, starts to age up and out of here. The way basketball is going to be consumed, I mean, it's already happening, it's going to look very different. And so I'm thinking, well, what's the future of this sport going to look like? Um, and I want to frame it around the media and how this sport is covered. Um, you know, the current broadcast deal, which is $9 billion, is set to expire at the end of next season. So tw- after 24, 24 or 25, that $9 billion deal will expire. The idea is they're going to have a new deal signed by Dan. There are estimates that talk about, and that current deal that they're on pays them $2.6 billion a year, roughly, pays the NBA, and that's the bulk of their basketball-related income, which is how all the players get paid and all that all that stuff. There are, there are guesses that it might be $5 billion per, per season going forward. And I'm like, that's a lot of money for a product that, while we love it, it isn't consumed at the heights it once was in the 80s and 90s, and that's for a variety of reasons, right? The the options we have, right? I always joke, when I was a kid, we had channel 2457911113. That was it. There was no internet. There was no so I'm watching basketball all day long. There's a triple header, every game beginning to end. I David has told me this from his his experiences. Ben, I'm sure you can say the same. There is no person under 20 that sits at home and watches three basketball games tip to end in the NBA. And so if that model of broadcast deals and huge rights is what we use, and it seems like no one's really doing that anymore, well, who's going to pay Cameron Boozer, if he's good, in 2030, his max extension contract? Where is his money going to come from? Got any answers, Ben? (laughs) So, you know, I think it's a really interesting time because my – so first of all, nobody's consuming anything that way anymore. Um, at least not on what I would consider, you know, ad served TV, right? People are binging shows and and stuff like that. Um, but we are like a really, really interesting, um, paradigm shift that on the one hand, I could say all of the, um, sub networks, Disney plus Hulu, ESPN plus that package, Paramount and all all of those things are start Netflix are going to start running ad supported as foundational to their business. They're also all making plays at sports in some way. I think that is going to, in the short term, potentially offset some, some gaps in terms of like how much people view, et cetera. But there's a second piece that part of the reason live sports are able to drive the amount of money they have even though their ratings have declined, by the way, even football does not draw the viewership it did 20 years ago. It's just much bigger than everything else we have, right? But one of the reasons is 
live sports is one of the few forms of media that advertisers still feel confident in placing big financial bets, right? And so we, we use a term called CPM, but it's basically like the cost per thousand viewers, right? And the price of CPM for live sports is just higher than everything else. Even other things like primetime network TV that draws higher viewers. Like I think at its peak, Modern Family was still doing like 10 million, 12 million mm-hmm. viewers a week, right? And the average NBA game does 1.1. If they air it on ABC, it usually does two and a half to three. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that there's a reality that Ford, you know, uh, uh, Miller Coors, all these companies are willing to pay that premium for sports because they know who their audience is. They know the people who are watching are leaned in, et cetera. But there comes a point where it's kind of like a bubble. It's like, okay, you keep increasing the rates as viewership goes down. At some point, people are going to go, I can't make the math of media buying make sense for how much I'm paying for it. Now, I, I do wonder if the viewership will rise as you do start proliferating the content on digital more um, to offset that a little bit. But the thing that I really wonder when you talk about like nobody's watching three games back to back, the viewership for like the West Coast games is really poor, right? ESPN, other than SVP Sports Center, but when they have a late NBA game, they they do not draw the same viewership as when SVP airs at its normal time, like when they when they get that late bump. So I just I don't know what the future of sports is going to look like from a viewership model. I do think. What you've seen with F1 is really interesting. There is one event a week. Mm-hmm. And more than football or soccer, there's only one. Mm-hmm. And it just met like they draw a couple hundred million viewers to every race every Sunday. It is like three to four Super Bowls. Like, and so I do think that you combine like the appointment viewing idea of football and soccer on a schedule. With also the idea that NBA is just not on network. They're not even getting their biggest audiences. Like, I'm sorry, but TNT and ESPN are just not big enough anymore. Like football, people don't talk enough about the fact that football is on two, four, seven, you know, five, like those core base channels. And I think for basketball to have that big future you're talking about, they need to immediately shift to network coverage as they're figuring out this proliferation model. But I'll say the other side of it that I don't think anybody wants to say, which is like basketball is culturally interesting. I don't know if people love watching the sport. Mm, oh my God. So much to go through. Sorry. There, man. I know I, no, lot, no, no, but... no. I love it. I love that you went there. Okay. So the NBA com- in comparison to the NFL and NA- NHL and major league baseball, right? So just, we're going to look at the more major North American sports. By far, the NBA is the most talked about league on social media. It's not even close. The numbers clearly show that. Social, and, and I'm going to speak specifically about Instagram, TikTok, uh, and Twitter. Those platforms, particularly Instagram and TikTok, are dominated by Gen Z and younger people, right? That's who was on that. Mm-hmm. But to your point, right, they're not watching the actual game itself, right? They're talking about it. They're... And I read a, uh, read a stat on Morning Console, and it's basically like YouTube and TikTok is where Gen Z, and that's 13 to 25-year-olds, 
That's where they get the majority of their sports news and info from. You know what doesn't fit on YouTube and TikTok? A two and a half hour basketball game with a three man booth. Like that, that's just not, that's not appealing for whatever reason. And it doesn't work. Um, you know, overtime elite is, is everyone knows about that. Their, their post-grad program and how they get a bunch of, you know, young high school players to go down to Atlanta and their facility and do all that. The way that they do things with their sort of like um, sound studio. And that is what kids love watching highlights from that versus and highlights of the NBA, but actually tuning in beginning to end to an NBA game. I mean, it's just not happening. But coach door, you work with a yep. lot of kids, 13 to 25. Yep. I'm curious, like <laughs> how much of them that you talk to, are they really following the sport and the games or are they following the players and the, the, the league as a, as an, as a thing rather than as a sports entertainment property? So first of all, I'm dealing with very, very interested athletes to begin with. So they're not the norm, right? I don't deal with middle school guys much anymore. My, you know, obviously my kids are older, um, but it's the latter. What you just said is exactly right. It's much more player centric. Um, you know, the guys I talk to are serious players themselves. So the highlights don't matter as much as what's happening. They are tracking that for sure. Uh, but it's nowhere close to the investment into the team. Uh, I, I don't know who you guys, I can guess who you rooted for when you were growing up. For me, it was the Lakers for stupid reasons. But like, I never did know how the Lakers did the night before. And I had to watch at 1130 at night on tape delay, or if it was a late game, not on TV, I had to check the box score in the morning, which was often not in the, I live in Florida. So I might have to wait a whole nother day to find, way before ESPN was around, but I was invested, absolutely invested. That is not the case anymore, unless you live in a, a city that has a team. That's yeah. different. The, the everyone else is, is, is not connected the same. Uh, 32% of Gen Zers said they watch live sports through authorized streaming services compared with 28% who watch via broadcast TV, which is something that you, that you mentioned, Ben, I talked about YouTube and Instagram. So there is something happening. I think we've talked about a lot, which is not just on this show, but we've heard it. The cord cutting, right? We've gone from in just the past five years over households with over a hundred million households with cable in it to now we're at 70 million households. And that numbers can, it might be at 50 million in the next two to three years. Well, to your point, Ben, TNT and ESPN, that's where the majority of basketball is. And you look at the RSNs for, 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 the, lo for the local regions. Well, if you're not on 245, who is, who is watching it? You've got to get yourself back on regular TV where people can see you. But to your point, Ben, if the ratings are what they are, and again, you, you, you mentioned, and I've got them up right here, the average regular season game on TNT, ESPN, ABC last year, 1.59 million, million viewers which is slightly down from last year of 1.61, but whatever, basically the same. The finals averaged 11.64 million viewers, which was this past finals with the Nuggets and the Heat. And that was down 6% from the year before with the Warriors and Celtics at 12.4 million, but roughly around the same. Can you justify what people are talking about, which is a $5 billion per year spend when 1.6 million people are watching it and only 11.6 million total are watching a series in the NBA finals? I mean... Listen, I think you also have to take into account just like the local, the, like you, you you said the RSNs, like there, there's a lot of volume of games. And like part of the reason when we have these schedule shortening discussions, the thing that I've always pushed back on is you need to show me where people are going to make up the money. 
by cutting the, the season down. Right. And so like, to me, the thing that I used to always kind of debate with Ethan was, I don't think you can go to 67 games because oddly it won't create enough drama that I think you could make the case that people are going to tune in at some massively higher rate, but you've just cut 20 games of revenue that you can't, I just don't think you can make it up. I think the thing that you, that we don't discuss enough about sports like football and soccer is like, you were talking about one, like basically you play each team twice in soccer. That's like literally the schedule Two, there are stakes top to bottom in soccer with relegation, right? Mm -hmm. Three, the, the, um, the need to win every game is so massive when you were at 30 or 40 games or 17, 18 in football mm -hmm. at 67, you still, you, people are still going to be sitting out stuff, right? For, for, I, I'm not even talking about like real health reasons. I'm like this, all this old man, like you have to get to, to 30 or 40. And then I, I think that the other idea of four is I, I think there's something real around knowing when something is on. We actually don't live from a content perspective anymore in these programmed ways. We used to be like Seinfeld's on Thursday, you know, this is on then this, like we don't watch things like that anymore, but our behaviors actually as humans are just as rigid behaviorally. Like we actually turn on the TV at the exact same time. <laughs> it's just, we don't know what we're going to watch. Right. Right. And so I think you need to get to this place where it's like games are on Wednesdays and Saturdays, right? And that's it. Mm -hmm. And you have two or three national games. You have everything else consolidated because the other side of it is it takes away the ability to only track highlights, right? Because like there isn't new highlights every day. Right. And you get people reinterested in the game. And I think the last thing that I would add to that is I think there needs to be a massive overhaul of the media. Like I, I think the way we cover sports has pit us against the athletes and has pit us against the teams and has pit us against the sport. Right. I'm sorry, but Stephen A. Smith in person is like one of the most humble, quiet, soft-spoken. He is such a, he is nothing like his character. Skip Bayless, I'm going to be on the record, is a dick on Stephen <laughs> person. He just is. But the the shtick of just yeah. yelling and ripping apart people, yeah. et cetera, notice the NFL does not let that happen. Doesn't do it. And basketball does. And I think it just makes people go, it just naturally erodes your love for this stuff. Um, and, and I think all of that stuff combined, like you have to fix it all. There's, there's not yeah. one, I don't think the next TV, the, the next TV deal is going to come as a suffer, but I think that's like the bubble. That's the 0% interest rates, mm -hmm. you know, on, on our adjustable mortgages that in right. five years after that, I think there's going to be a reckoning. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that's, that's perfect. I, Ger Gerard, go ahead. Gerard, can I just jump on that real quick? So two things, Ben, one, thank you for what you said about this, the T I don't draw and I don't watch any of this stuff yeah. more or less. I, I don't watch it at all. Um, we all pay attention to politics. The three of us, the whole point of the Russian campaign in 2016 was to get people to stop. I don't care. It wasn't about trying to get people to vote one or the other. Just don't go to the polls, mm -hmm. which is what they needed for their guy to win the election. And he did. 
So we literally are having the same thing happening on our mainstream sports networks. We're just creating a lack of, why are we watching a, a sport? Why do we care about a sport when all these guys are screaming and yelling? So we, that, that does not exist at Troop, as you well know. The second part I wonder is Gerard mentioned earlier about the, the, the impact the NBA has on social media. And so we, you have to answer this question now, but can there be, it can be yes or no, and then we can talk about details later, a way for that to become a revenue driver when those companies in social media are ad-based, some of them are ad-based anyway, and uh, more and more people are downloading or, or watching those clips on social media about the NBA, whether it's games or people discussing it, is there a way one day to remunerate the NBA for that? So I'm going to say what you're getting to is really interesting. So two years ago, three years ago, I would have said there's there's unlikely a way because pirating of clips, is, it just happens. I mean, I see the... the um, Oh my God, the the fight that happened over the weekend. Um, oh, this is yeah. uh, Spence and uh, Crawford. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't pay for that, but I, I would go on Twitter and see see the highlights in real mm-hmm. time, right? Because it's pirate. Mm-hmm. However, as we move into a the technology behind NFT world with digital fingerprinting, etc., there is a world where that stuff can be managed very easily. Right. And you can you can give credit because once a digital fingerprint is there, like it never you can't erase it. Right. So I do think there's a world where that covers it. But I think there's another problem there, which is that the basis of the uh, writer strike and the actor strike, which is. How do you track the money and do you pay people the same because like. When you move from buying a record to spinning it on Spotify, you went from getting like two or three dollars per person who bought your album mm-hmm. to two or three cents mm-hmm. for for every like album worth of spins, right? And and so building the model for what that looks like and how people get paid and all of that is a nightmare math calculation. And I'm not saying it's unsolvable, but is really com- it's more complicated than I think people want to acknowledge, right? And I think that comes back to your question about cord cutting is like people are cord cutting because they think they're saving money, but they're adding up all these other costs with their Mm -hmm. subs. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's going to be a reckoning there too. And we're just going to go back to bundling because at the end of the day, it's the same amount of people watching content. Mm -hmm. And when you look down, you're still spending $200 a month. Got that right. You're spending it in seven places now, in nine (laughs) places. So it's really complicated. I do think, though, to answer your question, Coach Thorpe, that there is a way to do it, but I don't think it makes it up because we don't pay as advertisers and we don't pay as companies the same rates for a social eyeball. Like the CPM on YouTube is 9 to $14. A CPM on network TV is 40 to $70, right? Wow. It's the same eyeball. Right, but we but just yeah. deemed it to be less valuable on these other things. Now, as as someone that handles this stuff, Ben, and I, that's why you're the perfect person to have on here, do you think fundamentally that eyeball is different? Like, what is the difference between a broadcast eyeball and a YouTube eyeball? So, so statistically today, there is, right? Uh, when you watch stuff on your TV, you tend to be more tuned in, even if you are second screening and typing on your phone, like whatever, right? But 
when you watch on YouTube, they found statistically is people tend to be multitasking. They don't always have the browser open. They don't process things the same way. You can skip after like all that stuff. And so they basically say like, it's four YouTube ads to equal one TV ad in terms of like memory impression. And then it's somewhere around the neighborhood of 12 to 16 social ads to make up one TV ad. So there is some difference, but I do wonder if over time that's going to change, not because the YouTube ads and social ads become more effective, but because the TV ads, I just think slowly erode in attention. Oh, the, the, all of this is incredible. Um, we're, we're playing with our phones watching TV too. Yeah, but it's, it's, but you know, it's a distraction. Is, I don't, I don't know whether it's the sound module. I don't know whether it's the fact that like your brain is literally going, I know this TV is on as my primary attention. Your passive listening to it is proven psychologically to still be more plugged in than when you are passively watching a YouTube ad on one tab and like typing some stuff on another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned something interesting about the bubble bursting with not this current broadcast deal, but the next one, which is exactly why I use Cameron Boozer as my example, because that's by 2030. If he continues on the trajectory that he's on right now, that's when he's going to be looking for that rookie max extension. And where is that money coming from? So you mentioned Look, and we are big proponents of shortening the season here, as you know, but you're like, guys, where is that ad revenue get, getting made up from if you cut to, and my answer was always 58 games, right? 30 teams, you play each team twice, right? That creates a level of, well, I only play the Lakers twice. That's it. Home and away. Every team home and away, home and away, home and away. And I like your model of Wednesday, Saturday. Is there a way to increase the CPMs on a 58-game season, right? Or... Adam loves this. Um, he, we're doing the Adam Silver. We're doing the the in season tournament. Is there a way that, like Champions League, right in in World Association football, we make the in season tournament or the finals or the playoffs a separate package for deemed by whomever, and that's where a bulk of the revenue comes in, and then you change the CPM structure on those games versus. Can we season. pause for a second? Yeah, the in season tournament being compared to all of these cups in soccer, right? Like. It drives me insane. <laughs> well, it's not Champions League. We know that. No, no I know. But, like, do we understand the fact that the entire reason cups exist is because teams play teams they wouldn't normally play? Yes. It's like the FA Cup in England. You're playing like the equivalent of the G League and mm-hmm. NCAA and Overtime mm-hmm. Elite, and everybody gets a shot. The idea that we are just going to have a tournament of the same teams playing the same teams, right. I don't know why I care. Like, I, you cannot con- I do think an in-season tournament has value if done right, mm-hmm. right? But – I don't know why I care about watching the same teams play the same. Maybe Coach Sharp, you, you look like you got some to say. Like, tell me why I I do. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've always suggested we do an age limit tournament. So 23 and under, 24 and under, something like that. The better teams can choose to play a Luka uh, Doncic, who, who would be of age, or the Pelicans would sign. It's up to them of what they want to do. But at least we're definitely seeing players we don't normally see and it's good for player development for those guys too. So to your point, it's not quite the same thing we always see because you're, you're going to have to, you're literally going to have to place uh, guys that wouldn't normally play for you. And those guys have star potential. Well, that's, so they just don't play. That's why I do. I personally am an advocate for like, it is good for the league if G League teams matter. Yeah. Right. And so I, I just Hell stand yeah. by like, I think they need to figure out how to get like, 
the G League teams into the midseason tournament. And like part of the challenge for Premier League teams is going, I never want to just lose to some scrub team. So I'm not mm-hmm. willing to like have Great none fun. of my mm-hmm. starters out mm-hmm. there. But I'm playing the rest recovery game. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to have, you know, um, uh, you know, Harry. Oh, starters. Like, and, and so I, I think that there's something there. But go, to go back to your point is like, yes, they can add ways of charging additional. And they do. Right. You pay a different CPM yeah. for the NBA finals as it is. You pay like all of that stuff is true. The idea of rates going up, the rates will go up when you consolidate the game. The question is, the rates are still tied to the viewer. So if your rates go up by 20 percent. Right. And your viewership goes up by 10 percent, but your games are cut by 40. You're not the math doesn't yeah. work out. No. Right. You got to get the ratings. Yeah. Up. And so I think up. it's got to be it's got to be a married thing. And then I, I do really think that for Cameron Boozer, you know, to get that max contract and please go to Duke. Just, just, give, me, <laughs> just give me. Uh everybody who know who listens to the pod, uh Ben's wife Prim is a Dukey. His oldest son's name is Duke. <laughs> we, we we that is that is in our family genetics. But um I do think that what we have to do is we need to believe in the stakes. And I hate to say it, but like I'm all for sports science and I do believe it's true, but there's something to the idea that like, I understand why fans are like, I don't like you because you sit out on a Wednesday. Mm. I don't get to sit out. Mm. Like I I don't, I know we all get days off from work, but that's not the same. Game day is like the meeting with your boss. You don't get to just miss that day. And I think we got to get to a place where it's like either players comp is tied to it, or if you miss a game, you got to go on the injured list. You you know what I mean? Like you've got to do some stuff there so that people, all of the stakes need to be there. Yeah. I I, want to continue on that point. Hold, but continue. Hold hold that. that. No. And just the last thing is I would say is, or what you have to do is you need to make the sport more faceless, like basketball, like football. football and Play your 12 guys on the team. You got 12 guys on the team. Get more used to giving them minutes and make yeah. that more of a requirement. I, yeah. I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to touch on that. I wanted to go back to the in-season tournament really quick because we're all, well, David, do you, have you talked about Swansea? Can I say? Or, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, people know David is an investor in a, a European football, and that's soccer, people. Of course, when I say football, I mean I mean soccer. Um and of course, uh, Ben, I know, is, is a big uh, European football fan as well. Look, my thought was always about the in-season tournament, and it's going to iterate, right? How it looks today, season one, is not going to how it's going to look 10 years from now. I would love it if it was a true international tournament. I don't care. Let Basketball Africa League be involved. Let the G League be involved. Let teams from uh, Spanish AC. I don't care. Now, I know logistically it's a nightmare to figure out, well, how are we getting from Madrid to Los Angeles? Like, okay, look, smart people, figure it out. But the G League part isn't hard. Right. That, that that's part easy. is easy. They're freaking right here. But figure it out, smart people. And I think to your point, Ben, last season, I don't know if you remember this, when the Phoenix Suns lost a preseason game to, oh my God, it was a European team, a French team. I, I forget. That was like top of basketball news for like three days. Like, oh my God, how did an NBA team get beat by this team with people I've never heard of before? Well, guess what can happen in a single elimination tournament? An NBA team, if they're screwing around or not hot from three, can without a doubt lose to one of them. If you start having things like that happen, 
I think that'll be like, holy shit, I got to watch this stuff. So again, I know logistics are really difficult to figure out to make it a true worldwide thing, but come on, we figure out how to get someone orders a freaking cup of coffee in Bangladesh and like, come on, you, we can figure out how to make this thing work somehow. Smart people work on logistics. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, or maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time, but the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapist for my partner and I, and both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. Okay. I want to get to this point you made about you don't like people sitting out work. And I think this is an, a, a cultural problem the NBA faces. Look, professional sports are black. That's just a thing, right? Particularly football and basketball. Now, football has the advantage of an 18-game regular season. So unless you're literally severely injured, you're not sitting out games because, one, your contracts aren't guaranteed. There's a million reasons why you're not, right? I mean, we've seen guys with broken hands and a cast come on up field and do, do whatever, right? Because that's just what that, work, that sport promotes. The, the magnitude of games in 82, and I don't care. Adam says, yeah, we got less back-to-backs, less four games. Look, do anything. Go run in the morning. Get on a flight that afternoon. Have to get up the next morning. Like by Wednesday, you're like, what the? You're you're drained. Imagine playing high level competition NBA basketball on top of that. You're just not going to be effective. Stephen Alardi, friend of the show, did a thread uh, yesterday looking at Joel Embiid's estimated plus minus um, after rest and not rests. And shock of all shocks, after he takes a rest, <laughs> his EPM, and that's your on on court effects, you know, per 100 possessions, is out of this world. He doesn't take a rest. It starts plummeting and declining rapidly as he goes on. I'm like, shocking. When you have rest, you can play better. No rest, you play worse. Now, I know that fans don't want to hear that. And I think, Ben. Well, hold, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on, Gerard. Fans don't hear that because that's not what the ABC well, announcers correct. are saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're right. saying it. They're correct. not. Yeah. Yeah, They're saying, oh, these guys just want to like. And I'm like, no, these guys want to play. I think that part is not communicated clearly enough. You think guys want, they don't want to sit out. They don't. No, like they, I, I promise you they don't. <laughs> I, I know that. I think that is not told enough. But I do think the problem is we can't have it both ways. We see the conversations on Twitter and say that 90% of fans don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Right? They, mm-hmm. they make these comments about stuff. Like, and at the same time, they don't know what makes Joel, when Joel Embiid's game is better or worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So him sitting out for the sake of better performance in the next game, they don't really know the difference with the subtle exception of when you have a 50 point game or something like mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. outlier, but those right. are outliers regardless. Right. 
And so, and by the way, I don't care if people sit at work. What I'm saying is I understand right. how fans go. I am tuning, like you built this league around players, mm-hmm. not around teams, yeah. right? And so if I go to tune in and Kawhi and PG are sitting out playing. or, you know, AD is sitting out or whatever, like, I'm sorry, I am less interested because you told me I need to care about those people. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, most people don't know the difference between a good and a bad game. Thursday night football is awful. Awful. It still gets basically the same ratings. Mm-hmm. Is that because of gambling? No, because it started before gambling. And it's like, football. Wow. Americans have proven they will watch shitty football. Like the XFL, all these leagues get really good. People watch bad football. They don't care. They love football. Part of it's the violence element, I think. But like people just love watching that game, even if it's bad. But they, like, listen, when the Heat were in the playoffs the past, you know, five years, I do think that there was a little bit more drama this year, right? But they, they were never known to play beautiful basketball. This was not right. watching the Warriors play or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The ratings for Heat games relative to other teams, not the Warriors, mm-hmm. were not that dis- disparate or different. People are not watching for the quality of play. They turn on sports, especially sports at this volume of, of games, because it's just something on. that, And they like basketball, so they want to watch basketball. But if you turn it on, like, I won't lie, I started checking out on regular season basketball for the first time ever in my life because it was like, meh. It's like, okay, cool. Like, we were going to have Embiid Jokic, and then one of them sits. Mm-hmm, like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in the Nuggets enough pre this year's playoffs to watch them when Jokic isn't playing. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in 200 pound James Harden, 240 pound James <laughs> Harden, you know, without Embiid on the floor, because even his style of play when he's, when he's, is just ice. Like I'm not interested. Right. I'm not, I'm not in on that. You need the teams. And I'm not saying I don't understand the sports science and needing rest in there, but, but I understand Right. That losing interest from a fan perspective. From a fan perspective. And then our our media coverage is all over the place on it. That it makes to David to, to Coach Short's point earlier, it makes you go, should I even care? Should I be mad at these guys? Should I not? I, I don't know. Um, another interesting stat about uh sports. So Gen Z, two and five Gen Zers, which is thirty eight percent, do not have a favorite sports team compared to only 25% of all remaining U.S. adults. And I think that's a, that's, a, that's a big indicator right there. And the NBA has forever marketed individuals, right? That's just what it's done. And it works in an, in an era when you have Michael Jordan and less options to watch on television. You're going to get 19 and 21 ratings on games because there well, ain't that many things to watch. Well, now you have literally 1,000 options every night to turn on the TV. So it's like, oh, I mean, I can go watch – Jokic next week <laughs> there'll be four more games right and I think this is this is our problem that, that that we're running into here right it's this this battle between it's like we watch tv sort of more general or watch things more generally now but there's so many different options that like you can go down a rabbit hole of all right I'm a binge legal drama person and that's just all you watch because you can curate your entire life that way and I think again the NBA is just in a tough a tough position right now of how can we make this thing work? I love your point, Ben, about what's their night of the week, right? I mean, football shit basically has every night of the week. But um, 
Wednesday, Saturday. That's good. You got college football to compete with on Saturday, but whatever. Wednesday, that's that's not an that's not an NFL night. You only have that's college a- football to compete with for two and a half months. Right. True. Also true. So I, I, I love that point. And, you know, talking about the media and how it's covered, you know, Charles Barkley and the TNT crew, which if you're a, a seasoned person who understands the game, you likely turn them on just to laugh because they're just going to be ridiculous, right? Shaq and the Fool, like Shaq, Charles running to the board, he might trip, it's going to be hilarious. Like, again, nothing to do with actual basketball, right? You're watching for the camaraderie and the hilariousness between those, those four men on that set. If I want actual basketball analysis, I just text David, right? Like I, just, like I don't, I mean, I'm not like, I don't, and, but that's a problem though, right? Charles and Shaq are two of the greatest players of all time. They should be able to talk to me about basketball in a very intelligent way. I know you've seen this, Ben, on Twitter often. That's never been the model. Never been the model. They'll show you a clip, a clip of NFL Live. Model. Well, they'll show a clip of NFL Live where they're actually talking about the game. It's a different show. True. All right. Talk to me about the difference between NFL Live and Inside the NBA. I mean, I know the different shows, but why is NFL Live so successful and popular with NFL fans? I mean, it still does like a third the audience of, mm. you know, Barkley and Shaq, you know, but one is it one is a post-game pre-game studio show right. that occasionally has some other episodes. The other is a weekly analysis show on ESPN that relative to other weekly analysis shows does really well. But like, that's for a really small segment of the population. And to be fair, they've gotten way more entertainment driven with mm. Nina, Ryan, Swagoo, right? Like they, they are far more entertainment and joke, et cetera. But um, I think that what we are missing to your point though, is we need those shows to be entertainment and analysis at this grand scale. And ESPN has failed at it at every turn with their studio show because they're so focused on the ad dollars. They don't care about the chemistry. Bill Simmons talks about it all the time and it's he's 100% right. It's you get 30 seconds, you get 30 seconds, you get 30 seconds commercial. Like you have to change your production format. But to your point about analysis, and this is where I don't know how you rein back it in. There's a thousand podcasts and YouTube shows that actually do do good mm-hmm. analysis, right? Like Zach Lowe can be kind of annoying sometimes, but he knows basketball. He is smart, right? He breaks this stuff down. Um, and and I do think he is um, overkilled for being a nerd, right? Like <laughs> I, he, he's a smart basketball guy. But then you have like the athletic NBA shows, right? Mm-hmm. You have Haberstro, like mm-hmm. you, you have you guys. There's a there's so much smart stuff. You're just pulling the audiences all over the place. Mm. I think the problem is the mainstream entertainment is just yelling, right? And it, it's it's all based around negativity. And ironically, I thought JJ was going to come in and like really shift it because in the beginning mm. I felt like he was, <laughs> and he's starting to lean into it. I don't want to accuse him of going all the way, but like. I don't know. I can't watch these shows. And by the way, JJ's pod is like one of the best pods out there. Yeah, he doesn't do that on his. JJ he doesn't do that on his pod. Sure. But if he's on Stephen A's show on first take, he has the. That's the format for that's that show. Format. He has to lean into that. And Perk is out of his mind. Like, <laughs> like, but anyway, I I don't know what you do because we have given power to people like yourselves who know basketball, who do smart analysis. It's just separated everywhere. 
and it's smaller. Each one is smaller. Um, but the studio shows, man, I mean, I think we there is room for another show like Shaq and Kenny and and Charles. Um, I think we also underestimate how amazing Ernie is. Like, I mean, really. Really? Wrangling those three? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. They, they love um, him. But they love could him. you imagine if you knew every Wednesday and Saturday they were on CBS or NBC or whatever? Because that's the other oh. thing is the mm. NFL isn't just on network. It's on every major Every network. network. <laughs> right? We are on arguably now two of the smaller channels like TNT. Like that's where you go to watch, you know. A few good men rerun. <laughs> yes, I just watched. I just watched. Which, by the way, is an excellent movie. I watch it every time it's on. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I just. I can't believe I blanked on the the Kumite uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. What the hell that movie? Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah, I used to watch that on TNT all the time. Um, but I, yeah. I don't. What? As members of the media that also are kind of involved in the leagues. You tell me, like, where does the media landscape go in your guys' mind to to make a better product that either supports the league better or supports fans better? David, you can start, and I'll, I'll chime in. Well, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take a different approach to get to where we're we're trying to get to, and that is, if we can all agree, we're we're facing an existential crisis, and and I certainly believe, based on what Ben has said and what Henry's been saying for years, that we are. And so we need, to, we need to create a better demand. And I, I think the NBA would be very smart to partner with college NCAA basketball uh, and start getting involved in our youth programs nationally and globally and get out of the idea that you have to play basketball as a business or get out of it and find something else that you should do as a business for your seven-year-old, right? for Duke and whatever. Uh, I never I – never, Oh, I, I, yeah, it would be great if my son ended up playing college basketball. It wasn't why he played basketball. I want him to fall in love with the sport. And everyone I coached, and I, I'm still in touch with a lot of players that I coached over the years uh, in baseball and basketball, my goal was to get them to want to come back to play the next season. That was down here in baseball is year-round basketball. We do it twice a year. And, and, and I didn't mind if these coaches in either sport would beat me. They loved the fact that, oh, we beat this famous coach Thorpe. Yeah. Because you focused on winning with eight-year-olds. I just wanted my eight-year-olds to come back and play with their nine and 10 and 11. And so what's happened is, as I've talked to some of these families, because they live in the same community still, whatever, these kids are all now in college or, or out of college. Are they still loving the sport? And I'm, I was talking to a dad that I hadn't seen in maybe a decade who, uh, who served in the Coast Guard. His son was a very bright kid, not a very good baseball player, but he was a tall, athletic kid. And the dad saw me in the grocery store and pulled me aside. and said, Coach Thorpe, uh, uh, you know my son went to the University of Tampa. I said, yes, I knew Sean did that because I'd seen him a couple years ago. He said, well, he wasn't good at to play baseball by the time he was 12, but he became an athlete in high school. He ran cross country in college, and he and I still go to Tampa Bay Rays games together. That's a win for me and our Little League, Countryside Little League. Get these young people that care about sports, the drama of it, which goes to playing less games and so forth, the passion, the, the, the connection of not just races and ethnic, ethnicities, but all aspects of human existence. Sports can, can absolutely co- connect when other places would divide or build walls. And so the, 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 that aspect of it would get more P 
young people to watch and then they will become dads themselves and moms themselves and their kids will watch. And we're talking about a 30 year fix. I'll be long gone. Well, hopefully not in 30 years, but in 50 years, probably so. Um, that That is a holistic approach, but we have to start now. The NBA has enough money for sure to start investing in communities now in a much better way than they're doing to promote the sport as an as a, 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 a vocation rather than a vocation. Or did I, I think I mean, we got you. <clears throat> Something fun as opposed to it has to be a business to get a scholarship to make money or we shouldn't waste our time doing. I, I don't play. I play golf. I don't expect to be on the PGA Tour. <laughs> Same kind of approach. No, I, I think, Ben, you know, so much of this is, again, and it's, I don't like this idea of like, you know, back to a simpler time, but there is something to pull from that, right? <laughs> the reason why you like the thing in the first place, absent of all of the other things that are involved in it, right? You just love the game, right? You love, you grow up watching with your mom and your dad, and then your sons and daughters, if you had them, they become fans who like Duke and Tyson will love Duke, right? That's a thing. They're going to be Duke fans. Whether they go there or not, it's just going to be a thing, right? But in the NBA, and again, this is part of it. It's like the Ameri- the, this like idea of Americana, right? Like the rugged individual. That's what we promote, right? The individual rises over everything. Superhero, blah, blah, whatever. But what about the actual Boston Celtics? What about the actual Denver Nuggets? What about the actual Oklahoma City Thunder, right? But that's not how we sell and talk about it, right? It's now the story is, from a media standpoint, the indomitable will of Nikola Jokic. He's now proven that he was worth all those two. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, right? What about Bruce Brown and Christian Brown? They don't do the things they do. Guess what? Nuggets still win an NBA championship. As brilliant as Nikola was, right? But that's not that's not a good story for our brains. Our brains like dichotomy hero villain superstar triumphs it's just like this is we have to tell stories differently and we at true hoop as you know try to do that but as a collective media we are bad at telling stories you want to know what's interesting and i've never thought of this before but it it just dawned on me we all like i i've prim and i talk about this outside of sports but it just dawned on me in sports why do why do we love sports? So you said we got to get back to the root of sports. It's because of what our parents love. Like nine times out of 10, right? It's why in cities in the South, people love football. In New York, people used to love basketball, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like a cultural dynamic that influenced the parents. Mm-hmm. And what the parents do influences mm-hmm. the kids. Now, how the kids consume it, like, like that always right. kind of evolves, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is we blame the kids. They're not into basketball. You know what? The parents aren't watching basketball anymore either, right? Like my dentist, I don't agree with this take, but it doesn't matter because it's somebody's taking it's influencing them. He's like, since it all went to the three-pointer, I just can't watch basketball anymore. Mm. I'm, I miss the Knicks and the Heat duking it out. He, His opinion may be wrong as to what makes good basketball, but all that matters is if that is actually stopping him from turning on a game, then that's what's stopping him from turning on a game. And if he shows less love for the sport because of that, right? So, and parents are watching less sports just in general. They are, they're watching more other programs. And I think the thing that we are missing that used to change it is when we were urban based communities. And Mm -hmm. I don't just mean like rich cities. I mean, like even the suburban towns and neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. there was a communal aspect that sports fulfilled on a daily basis that I don't know that anything else fits in. 
And a lot of that is ripped apart. You then add to it the fact of what Coach Dorp said is like people are not playing sports in their town for the sake of community or loving the sport. They're now trying to get on an AAU team. That's a travel team. And you're playing team over here. You're playing team over there. Even your AAU team is not from the town you grew up in. Like Then all of a sudden, like I live in a part of North Jersey where you go like 20 minutes south or 20 minutes west and you're kind of Sixers fans. Like you're not even Knicks or Nets. Then the Nets move. So it's like there's not even like this home home base. And so I think that like one of the really interesting things here is like, I do think there's a huge emphasis to put on parents. Like if you actually really want to get this back into the, the, the youth, you need to find a way to make it more accessible and more interesting to parents and families, like in a real way. And I will say oddly, the stuff that you guys talk about that I'm interested in, it's not very family friendly. Like that's not a podcast <laughs> I can put on with my kids. Not because you guys use curse words. It's over their heads. Yeah, right. Yeah. In a weird way, I grew up as a kid riding with my stepfather in the car, listening to Mike and the Mad Dog and thinking this was crazy. Because <laughs> doggy's least, crazy. <laughs> at least we knew who they loved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You wanted to see Mad Dog Russo just go insane over the Mets, <laughs> right? Like just lose his mind, right? Because you knew he loved them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, now yeah. I don't enjoy it, but it did make me grow up going, "I get why my stepfather loves this team," or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we've really lost something in the family household that we blame on the kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we don't accept any responsibility on. A, for ourselves, because our kids, I will give you this one last example. We watch Wimbledon and the US Open and stuff like that because of Prim's tennis background. I watch soccer and F1. Duke won't even see the race, but he'll come up to me and say, Daddy, did Al did did Red Bull win? Because he hates Red Bull because I hate Red Bull. He'll go, <laughs> he does he's never watched a baseball game. He'll say, Did the Yankees win last night? Because he just knows I like the Yankees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'll just yeah. ask me in the morning. Did Alcaraz, can we watch Alcaraz? He we doesn't get that he's not on every day, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, the more I think about it, the more I go, oh, you're right. This isn't the kid's fault. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the parent's fault. We yeah. made sports a business. Mm-hmm. We made sports into yeah. a media property rather than an entertainment vehicle, right? And it's lost the dynamic in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, one of the other things uh, we touch on here before we, we go is the the in-person sport viewing experience. That is also on the decline in Gen Z. Uh, very few of them have reported going to an actual live game in person. And I know for me, my first live game as a kid, uh, I'm sure, David, you remember your first, like it was like the biggest deal in the entire world to go to a stadium and watch a team. It's like, oh my God, this is like outstanding. And to your point about making it family friendly, because we've made it into such this ridiculous business, and you know the three of us are fortunate in that what we do and where we are, it's not a hardship for us to go to games, right? Well, one, most of us can get media passes, so that makes it super easy. And if we wanted to pay, we could. A family of four to go to an NBA game, buy some concessions, and I mean, you're looking at a thousand bucks for a for, like what the? That sounds insane to me. If you're like, you're like what? what why would I do that? Right. Like, and then got whatever the entertainment's like in the actual arena itself, right. Is not conducive. Is that a problem that we can fix? Can, can, 
can teams do a better job of making? And I know they do their, it's family night, blah, blah, whatever, but actually making the price points work. I think the price points need to work, but I wonder, Coach Orb, maybe you could tell us, like, I, for everybody, like, I grew up, you know, my dad was died by the time I was seven and my stepfather was out of the house by the time I was 10. Like, so I, I'm, I'm not a typical kid. But I don't know how many kids, as much as I was growing up, who were not wealthy were going to sporting events on a regular basis, at least in the New York area. I do think as you go into middle America and the South, like I do think season tickets and stuff like that got proliferated amongst different classes more. In a weird way, I actually think it was like the TV and the bar, mm. like where dads would take their 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 sons, you know, at, like when they started to become 12 or 13, right? Like. And I, I think that is where the entertainment bond of a family came was TV at home. Right. And like your, your dad or mom's friends, and then eventually kind of like taking it to the bar after blue collar type jobs and stuff like that. I think the price point has made it worse because it is primarily business people and people with money who are not diehard fans. Don't get me wrong, but the amount of game day tickets versus TV watchers is so small that I don't think that's the barrier. I think it is Mm. something to do with around the TV and what keeps football propped up as an example of that is Sunday fun day at bars. Like that, that became a thing. And prior to that, it was like dudes just getting together. And I'm not saying this is good for the family either. I'm I'm, there's positive (laughs) trade-offs, but dudes just like leaving their families and going to the bar on a Sunday in a local Mm -hmm. town. Yeah. Um, so, I, but Coach Sharp, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm missing something. But as a kid, it felt like only the rich kids really went to the games for the most part, anyway. Well, I mean, I'm much older than you guys. Uh, in 1976, the Buccaneers came to Tampa. My parents got two season tickets. Mom and Dad went. I was 11 years old. Within a couple of years, my mom got smart and realized, what am I doing in a September in Tampa at one o'clock in the afternoon? And we hadn't won a game the first two years we were in existence to the final two games of uh, the second season. So the oldest son, me, started going. And then you know, we'd share it with my brothers. And we were pure middle class. My dad was a, a solid attorney. My mom didn't work. Um, but it was a big deal to go. We, we'd go to Rowdy's games. Tampa Bay Rowdy's were a very good soccer team in the 70s, along with the New York Cosmos. And that was always fun baseball we didn't have you know until much longer much later but it goes back to the same thing whether it's at home on tv or in person there has you guys write about the parents they're not going to drag their kid to it at that price but what wouldn't we do for our kids within our budget when they want to come and so that goes to creating them uh, creating in them a love for the craft and art of Mm. sport and not the business part that should not matter. If you, if they, first of all, you, as I always tell young players and, and parents, more importantly, if you hope one day your son or daughter gets a scholarship, will they first have to fall in love with the sport? Because it's so hard to be good at anything. My son, 6 a.m., seven days a week for about six years in our driveway. And if it rained once he was 15, he could back our cars out of the garage, he would train in the garage. Six o'clock every morning, his handle, his finish at the rim, and he's like a lot of other guys playing. All college basketball players can tell you the same story, I promise you, except for maybe the few seven-footers. They didn't have to do that, and many of them did, and they're great players. You have to love it. You have to absolutely love training and saying no to soda. And when friends would get 
a gallon of yogurt at the, at, the, at the make your own frozen yogurt place, my son would get a couple of dollops because athletes don't eat a lot of frozen yogurt at night. And if, you, if he did dessert the night before to sleep over, the next day he would say, Mom, I'm good. I had dessert last night. What 10-year-old <laughs> says that? Athletes do. And I, I, we didn't care if he ever played beyond. It was never I, – I said to him through his sophomore year of college, do you want to keep doing this? Dad, just stop <laughs> asking me. I never did it for you. You made it very clear for 15 years you didn't care. Your love for me didn't hinge on my success as an athlete. I love it for me. End of story. I don't ask him anymore. And by the way, he won't watch three straight games. But let me tell you something. When they get done with basketball practice, this is at Florida State, and most other schools have told me similar things, the players that I coach, they'll come home, they'll eat dinner in their apartment, and they'll put on college basketball and the NBA. And they're flicking around. They're following on their phone. They're watching. And all these guys have one TV in their apartment. Man, they're addicted to it. They all love it. And so you don't have to be great at something. None of you guys are great lawyers, but you like <laughs> law shows, right? I, I, I'm not a Christian man or a God-fearing man. I fucking love the Righteous <laughs> Gemstones. That's a funny damn show. I would argue the uh, so we got to get them to love it. <laughs> For sure. Exactly. It, what a funny show that is. So uh, we got to get them to love. And, and why do we love it? What's the, the drama? Why do we watch shows? We don't love shows that we know the ending. We may like the entertaining value of it, but the shows where you don't know what's going to happen are always really grab us. Well, that's what great sports is, and that goes to, to parody. The NBA had a little uptick. Well, we don't know who's going to win the games more than ever before. And we, we love the dominating teams, and we love parody, right? The NFL has that almost every year, one or the other, or both. So we, that is something the NBA can control, uh, do a much better job of, creating more drama with parody, which they're trying to do with CBA and so forth, and getting young people to love the sport at an early age. The WNBA should help. The G League should help. I'm really glad Ben said the G League and – he mentioned playing 12 guys. I complete, I've said this many times. Stop playing players 36 minutes a night. Cut them to 24, even if they're stars sometimes. Get them their rest and play these other guys. They're good enough. They just don't that get a is, chance. And we'll have a lot more players That is a perfect place to end it. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. As always, folks, we will continue on with our conversation on the future of the NBA. Take care.